Hello and welcome to the Fit for Privacy podcast, the podcast for those who care about privacy. I'm your host Punit Bhatia and here we have conversations with industry leaders about their perspectives, ideas and opinions relating to privacy and data protection matters. Before we start, a quick disclaimer that the views and opinions expressed are not legal advice. So let's get started. Hello and welcome. Today in the Fit for Privacy podcast, we have privilege of an award-winning international attorney. She advises on business as well as governments worldwide. She leads Whistleblowing Center. She's the founder and host of the Integrity podcast. She founded Govern and Law and is dedicated to integrity, good governance and better law. She's worked with many law firms as well as clients like OECD and Unilever. And she's a regular guest speaker. So I'm talking about none other than Mona Caroline Shamas. Hello and welcome, Mona. Hello, Pini. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to have you. And if I may ask you, how did you get into this field of privacy? Because if I sense your field is conflict of interest, governance and other aspects, how does privacy interrelate? It's a very good question. I had to, to think about it to remember because I started long before the GDPR was adopted. Uh, I was a, a lawyer uh, touching on uh, integrity and ethics in the business around corruption, antitrust, human rights. And in one case, in fact, we thought there was an antitrust issue, but it turned out it was a privacy issue. It was in the air transport sector. And it was more than 15 years ago. Hmm. And uh, step by step, I realized that privacy and conflict of interest had a big common point. They were often, you know, a common issue across sectors, uh, across cases we were handling, sometimes hidden in the details. And then we realized it's the elephant in the room. So um, I got very interested in, in both. And I actually had the, the chance to handle um, cases, matters, or even advice to clients that were touching on either and or um, either privacy and or conflict of interest. So uh, I've been there for quite some some time. And of course, when the GDPR was adopted, a big wave of awareness and uh, capacity building arose. And uh, I, I quickly uh, became uh, a certified DPO and I'm acting as an external DPO to a variety of companies. And I, of course, check myself whether I'm not conflicted to be a DPO because I'm also a, an advisor in other fields. So uh, I'm, uh, walking the, I'm, I'm walking the talk. That's interesting because our own medicine is very bitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in that case, how would you put GDPR in one word? I don't, it's complicated, but still. In one word, I would say humanity. Humanity, that's wonderful. And if you want to elaborate, because that's a profound word, it can mean different things for people. So how do you define that humanity in context of GDPR? What I love about the GDPR is it's putting back human beings at the center of the reflection, uh, whether it's in business, in government or in technology. It is forcing everyone in every sector to wonder how do we respect human beings? Uh, it's through the angle of privacy, but I think it goes beyond that because as we know, the GDPR very often is asking to self-check what the impact of anything we are doing could be on people's rights, fundamental rights and freedoms. 
So in a way, it's creating what I call a new right to self-determination for humanity in a context that is heavily driven by, by technology and by data. That's quite a profound in interpretation. And if I may ask, could you enlighten us with a simpler definition, just like you did for humanity, of conflict of interest? What does it matter and how does it play a role? Put very simply, conflict of interest is any situation where you could, uh, you are, or you look like you are a judge and a party uh -huh. in a situation. Uh, if I were to elaborate slightly, it's any real seeming or potential conflicts between different interests, which can be public-private, public business, business personal. So interests that coexist and to some extent uh, could go in different directions. And the question is, which interest are you listening to or following? And is that the interest you should be following in the given context? For example, in a business context, you should be following a business interest. But sometimes if it conflicts with a personal interest or public interest, which interest are you going to put in the balance and are you actually favoring the right one? So uh, that's uh, the longer version of it. Absolutely. That's very clear. But that prompts me to a question. Like a small business or entrepreneur, the challenge always is to balance the things, balance the cost, balance the resources, and also optimize what you do. So you're consistently struggling with and you're always the judge and the jury and the, the, <laughs> the convict all the time. So how can a small business take care of it? Or is there something for small business that they need to take care in context of this? Yes, it's an excellent question. And you're right that we would not want conflict of interest um, to come in the way of small businesses caring about privacy. And to say, well, you know, we have no solution to it. We have to wear different hats. So if we want to do it, we have to have those different hats. And that could entail some conflicts of interest. I would actually not dramatize too much because the situation also exists in big companies uh, where you might be surprised, but you can see often, you know, uh, security officers who are right. also uh, DPOs or chief compliance who's also chief legal and suddenly get the DPO hat. So it happens in both small and big businesses. That's uh, reality number one. Reality number two is that um, conflict of interest is not necessarily saying that in all situations you should not be wearing those various hats, but it's rather to have the good guidance on uh, how to identify for yourself when you might not be in the right uh, position or you might not be independent even as a mindset uh, to take the right decision for the context and the business or the situation you are in. So basically, what kind of checklists you might go through uh, to make sure that, again, you're not a judge and a party. Uh, we did it recently with a small company, to give you an example, the, the guy in charge of risk management, compliance, uh, is also a, a DPO. And we identified very concretely the few, so we looked at the job description of each of his jobs. So he had three or four jobs at the same time. We looked at the job description or the job scope of each of his roles. And we identified the very concrete situations where he was most likely to be conflicted. And only in those situations, then we would have sort of a backup person, a second pair of eye, if I may say, 
to make sure that uh, the, there was no conflict uh, at, at, at the core of his decision making. And the second pair of eye could come from someone within the company, even a startup, but could also come from an external advisor only on, on an ad hoc basis with added value. But in a way, you are empowering people to also have that extra layer of intelligence for themselves and for the decisions they are making in the context of wearing various hats. That's very interesting. And that means it has a role to play even in a context of data privacy and regulatory aspects of privacy. Yes. Because normally conflict of interest, we, we see that it's only for the appointment of DPO. But how do you see that in context of both things, the COI, the conflict of interest and the GDPR? Yes, it's a very good question. So the GDPR, you know, if we remember, is saying that uh, the, the DPO should be a pilot, should have the necessary resources, access to the top, and so forth. But it also uh, says clearly it's a, that's also, a, well, it's, a, you know, Article um, uh, 38.6 of the GDPR. So mm -hmm. that data protection can fulfill other duties, provided that uh, there's no conflict of interest. And, and the point there is that the the DPO should be independent. Right. The question here, and the GDPR is very pragmatic too, independence again doesn't mean to be isolated. In fact, the more independent you are, the less isolated you should be, and the more you should have access to whatever is going on in the company. But that independence also comes with the right checks as to whether there might be conflict of interest situation which may come not only from wearing various hats, there have been actually uh, sanctions like in Belgium against, yeah. uh, you know, in that for conflict of interest. But that's, that's, I would say, an obvious situation when you're wearing various hats. You can also be conflicted by wearing only one hat. So on the paper, you look like you're independent, you're only DPO. But still, you could be conflicted because perhaps you have to decide on something that relates to a friend. Or maybe you know that your bonus uh, will be influenced by some other factor or because you find that you have to make a decision or support a decision about uh, a tech provider and you have a preference for personal reasons for various incentives you might get or because you know you get along well with the, with a person more than another so conflict of interest can stem from uh, human relations, from having different functions, from having preferences, from just being human. And that's the, the important part of the GDPR is to understand that the independence prompted by the GDPR has various facets. You know, it can be just uh, cognitive and subjective. It can be structural, functional, uh, uh, related to relationships. And, and I see clients, they get it when we say, conflict of interest should not be taboo. The more skilled you are, the, the more you will be called upon to contribute. And of course, the more you called upon to contribute, the more conflicted you might be because you're kind of doing different things at the same time. So it's not a lack of skills. It's not saying anything wrong about you. You're not a bad person because you're conflicted. You're conflicted simply because you are doing many different things because mm. you have a personal life you have a you have you have a private life you have a public life you have a business life or because you have different jobs at the same time so it it's normal to be conflicted what it's not normal is to not detect it mm -hmm. and to not address it 
Um, and that's where the GDPR is kind of a bit too short on what it means to, to yeah. not have a conflict of interest. And, and that provision is really the core because as soon as you're conflicted, you cannot be trusted anymore in the decisions or the advice uh, you're supporting. It's really a matter of trust, a matter of credibility, and a matter, of course, of independence in, in the role of DPO, but it's true for any role in the company, whatever you do, you should have this self-check and also this check for others as to whether there's any conflict um, situation and how you handle also self-disclosure and a second pair of eye potentially around, um, around that. So yes, the GDPR uh, and conflict of interest really come um, together and should be, uh, should, you know, should be seen in, in the most effective and consistent uh, way to make sure that the DPO's role and, and purpose can be, uh, can be fulfilled. That's interesting because you put in perspective the aspect that it may not be the role, it may be the activity, it may be that person with whom you are dealing or even an action because of your other life, because we have many identities in today's world. So in that case, of course, the easy answer would be that if somebody has a question, they can always come to you. But let me ask you the other way. If someone, either a company or a person wants to detect or identify conflict of interest and then address it, what would be the simplest way or metric or approach to do that? Yeah, very good question. It's a very pragmatic one. Uh, first, there's a timing element, which is upon hiring someone, you should always have a conflict check upon hiring in the first place because you could have a conflict by design, right? For example, the, the same person is working for a competitor or his wife is uh, having a role in the company that might be favored uh, some, somehow and you lose your impartiality in the way you're gonna fulfill your, your task. So the upfront upon hiring conflict of interest check is important, but that doesn't mean you can detect everything upfront because many things are just coming with the life of, uh, of, of the company and, uh, and, and of the activities. So the timing element is also throughout uh, the business life and the company life, what kind of uh, very easy checks we can put in place. And those checks can come in two forms, self-checks and uh, punctual checks on others, mm. like by a compliance officer, for example, who will check upon others once in a while. It's a sort, sort of a conflict of interest audit, if I may say. Then you say, okay, that's about the when, what about the how? And the how is uh, first to explain the why to people, because why, once they understand why they should care and why it matters, you will actually engage them more into the how. And the how can be pretty easy. You can really draw, I would say, up to 10 questions that people should try to answer. And upon their answers, we can guide them as to whether there might be a conflict situation. But again, the why is important because the point is not to find an issue with them, is to guide them and to help them address potential conflicts, whether uh, it's, uh, it looks like a conflict or it is an actual conflict. For example, question about uh, their relationships, how they feel, uh, if they can think of any other interests that might be served in that situation, whether in the job description they see situations where, where they could be assessing their own job, so you're actually judging yourself, which is uh, not the best way to be impartial. 
So very concrete question uh, that, that looks simple, but they're actually translating sometimes complex situation into simple question for people to get used to asking themselves those questions. And you see that the more you guide them through the why and the how, the more they embed that as a, as a habit, as a behavior in, in everything they do. And, and, and the last, last thing beyond checks and self-checks is to have a disclosure mechanism. So to make sure that whenever a person is in a situation where such a check should happen or self-check takes place, that if they are in the orange or the red zone instead of the green zone, that they do proactively and they should have a duty to proactively disclose that. And we should know to whom, of course, often a compliance officer or a go-to person to, to receive that disclosure and to see how to address it. Again, with a partial replacement, second pair of eye, uh, additional advice, uh, or just a yes or a no. But so disclosure and self-disclosure happens. And I can tell you even in multinational companies, we drew together something that has become an app, a very simple app. So we transformed the questionnaire into quick questions on your mobile. So whenever you're in a situation that is proactively identified or reactively identified, you, you go through this quiz in a way, and depending on the result, you know whether you have to disclose, not to disclose, to ask for help, or whether it's a highway to heaven and you're, you're okay to go. That's interesting. But the challenge with most soft skills or behavioral aspects is that these are challenging. They are very, uh, very much uh, softer aspects of it. So can you, uh, do you also find it that it's challenging for people to identify? Because if I identify that, okay, this may be conflict of interest and I go back to my compliance team, there's also a risk for me in terms of my job, you mentioned already in terms of my bonus and so on. So do you see that? And how do those challenges then get addressed? Because end of the day, it's human to feel concerned and be assured of. Yes. Um, the resistance often comes, the challenge comes first from the resistance of people to see that even if it's called a conflict, it's not necessarily uh, uh, a terrible situation. It doesn't mean something bad about you. Um, it's not necessarily an infringement of something. Um, so really to, to first uh, address preconceptions about conflicts of interest is important. Um, really, I can tell you that in many situations we, we are handling, we are also handling whistleblowers who come to us to report uh, corruption, fraud, cartels, and so forth. So really like uh, corporate crimes, um, conflict is not a corporate crime, but I can tell you that in many corporate crime situation, it did start with a conflict of interest. And it's also to explain to people that the best way to protect them, you know, uh, from the risk of getting into some sort of corporate crime is to prevent or to address conflicts of interest. And once you work on the preconception, then the challenge is easily removed because people see um, why it's so important even to their own job and they will also often come with creative ideas as to how to address it but really engaging them and working on preconception is the first challenge and the first barrier to, um, to lift. The second challenge I would say nowadays is with technology. It's very hard when you're using uh, a tool uh, or a automation or big data Everything is so um, not necessarily unhuman, but has no human factor. Yeah. How do you also automatize uh, or automate, sorry, how do you automate 
uh, checks and uh, disclosure or detection of conflict of interest. And I think that's where you will see potential large scale uh, conflicts when um, it is by design, you know, embedded or coded in any technology or innovation we are using. And that's why a big, big challenge nowadays, whether it's small or big companies, is how to address conflict of interest in the engineering room, in the coding room, in the programming room. Is the person programming uh, conflicted him or herself? Mm -hmm. And are we in a way factoring any risk for conflict in the technology uh, itself? But that is true not only for conflict, it's true for any form of, uh, of uh, ethics or potential wrongdoing. Did you have other challenges in mind when you mentioned challenges? I had challenge like, let's say, uh, typically, people have an entrepreneurial ambition, so they are working in a job, and then they want to exper experiment on the side, and if they're working on the same thing, which they are working in the day job, it usually is perceived as, what do you say, conflict of interest mm. by the manager. I, I think a distinction should be drawn between uh, competing and being conflicted. Uh, you could have uh, non-compete clauses, for example, and the question is whether what you're doing on the side could compete with what you're currently doing. Uh, so that, that could be actually an original way to prevent any conflict <laughs> issue. <laughs> um, but let's say, assuming you can have something on the side, whether it's competing or not, the question is whether while you're performing your task in the first business, whether the second business is now actually uh, another interest of yours and when whether you're taking uh, your decision in the first business in the first business interests. Um, so indeed, the more jobs you have, again, back to what I was saying earlier, the more jobs you have, the more skills you have, the more proactive you have, the more conflicted you might be, but also that does not prevent from having so many jobs. It's just about how you're going to identify it, how you're going to disclose it and address it. And for example, I myself have several businesses. And as a lawyer, it's actually a deontology. It's a eth work ethics rule that before you do anything, you run your conflict check. So it's embedded by design. Lawyers are used to have running conflict checks. When they accept a new client, when they accept a new activity, we are investigators, we are GPOs, we are advisors, we are litigators. There are many jobs that we can have. And so the point is not to prevent us from actually uh, enjoying life through different activities, is to know exactly what kind of uh, questions we should ask themselves. And sometimes that may mean to refuse a job or an opportunity or to address it and perform it differently. So can I do it differently to address the conflict? Or is the conflict something that cannot be solved and the only way to solve it is to refuse one of the tasks, to refuse one of the opportunities, and it happens. So sometimes you have to be bold and to have the courage to say, it looks sexy and fun, but I cannot engage there. In other situations, we try to actually address the conflict and it's often possible without necessarily renouncing to, um, to the new opportunities. And uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting one because you'd be surprised how uh, ill-equipped most people are to understand the value of addressing conflicts of interest and how to do it. But it can be very simple. It can take even less time than this podcast to address <laughs> a conflict sometimes. So uh, it's, uh, it can be done very pragmatically. But you're right that there are challenges. But most of them can be really lifted in, in, in very, very few situations. Indeed, you have to go for the brave, 
radical uh, answer, which is no. Okay, that's interesting. So if uh, our audience, the, mostly the DPOs or privacy professionals are listening, what would be your one message to them to avoid conflict of interest and also respect privacy because you are DPO as well and you are also advising on COI. So what would be your one advice to them of message to them? The main message is to scope uh, upfront uh, the various situation uh, or the most likely situation where there could be a judge and a party. It's okay. as simple as that. And as soon as they have identified that to have what we call a task carve out. Uh, so how to carve out those situation or those tasks on an ad hoc basis where indeed they could be or they could be seen as being a judge and a party. Perception is also very important and how you address it. But really to be proactive about those situations where you could be judge and party is the, the one thing to, uh, to start with. Absolutely, that's very clear. So now, if somebody wants to contact you or listen to your podcast, uh, Integrity, so can you elaborate on how can they, what is Integrity podcast about? And also, how can somebody contact you if they want to know more or contact you for something? Absolutely. So the main, uh, the main way personally to reach me directly is through LinkedIn, Mona Caroline Chamas, C-H-A-M-M-A-S. Uh, there's our website, which is governlaw.com, G-O-V-E-R-N-L-A-W.com, governlaw.com. And for the Integrity Podcast, I have to know about it. Uh, it will be a cup of integrity to, uh, to stay tuned through LinkedIn or through our website. And last not least, uh, we are also a leading and founders of the Whistleblowing Center. Uh, so it will be for academia, the public sector, and the private sector. And that will be dedicated to whistleblowing, no matter the field uh, of, of law we are talking about. So it won't be only about privacy. And uh, really, these three things come, come together. It's uh, raising awareness with the podcast, as you do amazingly well, uh, Finit, you're a great inspiration, you. uh, to, to encourage a speak-up culture that's whistleblowing, and then to have a better law and good governance, that's the Govern and Law um, website. So uh, that's where you, can, uh, where, you, where you can find me, and I'll be delighted to, uh, to answer a question at any time. Perfect. So thank you so much for your time. And I know you're short on time. So thank you so much. It was wonderful to have you. Very insightful. Many thanks to you, Punit, and congratulations to you, and many thanks to our listeners. Thank you, Mona. All the best. Bye. Thanks for listening. And now we ask you for some help. Take a moment to subscribe and review this podcast. Your support matters. And if you have done it already, thank you so much. Now, if you have questions or suggestions, drop an email at hello at fitforprivacy.com. And finally, if you know someone who will benefit from this, share this podcast with them and help us grow. Thank you so much. Stay safe and see you next time.